Today's episode of The Wire Way Down in the Hole on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and L.A. And they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business as well. You can directly help the heroes and hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com backslash WCK to donate, please. We're trying to raise $250,000. And if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to the World Central Kitchen and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com backslash WCK. It's crazy, you know. We do worse and we get paid more. The government do better and it don't mean no, never mind. This shit right here, D. Welcome back to Way Down in the Hole, the podcast that breaks down every single episode of The Wire. Mm-hmm. And now we're in episode three, Van. The buys. Yeah, we're, we're starting to get into the nuts and bolts of The, the Wire. Nuts. I love it. Yeah, the yeah. nuts right up under that. Nuts, bolts, nitty and gritty. <laughs> it's going down. This episode, we get a little bit more into what makes the investigations that we're going to see for the next four seasons, right? A lot of the wrangling back and forth is starting to stop. It's called the buys and we really start to see what it takes to build a case. Like you, you say, you know, the cops had no idea what Avon looked like prior to this episode. You start to see, they need to know what he looks like. They need to know where he goes. They need to know who his lieutenants are. In every crime story, be it the Sopranos, be it whatever, when we get um, sort of the uh, the perspective of law enforcement, you always need that little board, that board with those pictures um, that show the hierarchy of an organization. This is one of the episodes, or really the first episode, where they start to kind of put that board together and be able to put face to name. And we're really starting to get going as far as what the cops have. And then on the other side of things, there are threads in the Barksdale organization that are starting to hang. These are the threads that are going to get pulled on a little bit later on to ruin all of those FUBU sweaters. All right. But for right now, they're starting to hang and these threads are going to get pulled on throughout the rest of the season. I mentioned this uh, when we were breaking down episode two, but I think this message is even sent home even stronger in this particular episode is that D'Angelo continuing to build a strong case for why he is the weak link in the Barksdale organization, having to be schooled to me about really obvious shit that somebody in his profession, you know, frankly, uh, you know, should know. I mean, one of the the scenes that happens or one of the, the events that happened in this episode is Omar for the, the course of the series. I mean, I believe this is Omar's first robbery that he pulls off. The monumental reason why episode three is a watershed moment in the history of The Wire is, bam, we finally meet 
Omar. <laughs> yeah, you see that? Oh, yeah. There from the end. That's the stash. Some real raggedy ass shit here, boy. Very sloppy. <laughs> Omar is probably the most beloved character um, in the history of The Wire. And this is the episode. I'm thinking, right? This is the first where he first starts scoping things. This is the episode where we finally meet the dreaded, fabled, legendary Omar Little. There's an enormous backstory behind not only how Omar's character came to be a part of The Wire, but why he's gay. Mm. And um, it, for now, we see him in this episode as just establishing himself as the menace the anti-hero to these drug dealers. Uh, brief recap of, of what happens in this particular episode. Prince Belusky, your man, your winner for episode two. Um, he becomes a useful bargaining chip for Daniels. Like his mm-hmm. fucked upness has led to Daniels being able to kind of leverage it a little bit into additional manpower, a little bit of a longer leash from uh, Burel. Um and we also see that there's a lot of publicity fallout from for the cops from that ep, uh, from that incident with Prez, Hurt, Carver, when they get the brilliant idea to roll to the projects at two o'clock in the morning, having had a few and decide to call some shit in the projects. Worst plan ever. But we're talking about Hurt and Carver. So not a shock there. Yeah. Nothing good happens after 2 a.m., especially in the projects. You would think that this would be common sense for everybody, but apparently some people needed to be told this. <laughs> we also see um, another important segment or theme in this particular episode is that the cops are beginning to gather intel on Avon Barksdale. They're beginning to figure out who he is. Uh, and Lester Freeman, oh my God, the dead has arisen, mm. finally decides that, you know, maybe I might try some police work. You know what I'm saying? I might try a little bit. So all of this is is going on in, in episode three. And as Van said, starting to set the table even more, progressing this story about how, uh, or rather the, the ultimate rivalry of the first three seasons, which is the cops versus the Barksdale crew. So as I mentioned before, there is this continuing thread that has been established in all three episodes so far, The Wire of D'Angelo having to be schooled about obvious shit. You know, as as you pointed out in the pilot episode where Weebay has to school him about talking in the car, mm-hmm. right? He has to pull over and be like, dude, why are you talking in the car? What's the rule? Mm-hmm. Same thing happens in this episode. He is out at the sub shop where, by the way, how much did it surprise you that Bodie wanted a Lake Trout sub? I gotta say, I didn't see that one coming. Well, but see, that's another thing I learned about The Wire is I learned about it that, like, Lake Trout... Man, look, let me say something real quick. Shout out to all my people in Baltimore, okay? Shout out to everybody out in Baltimore. This is where this is how we learned what y'all eat and what it is that y'all do and all of that stuff like that. So we didn't know... I didn't know about pit beef and, uh, you know, and I, I didn't know about any of that stuff. I didn't know about uh, where they were arguing over the, the hot dogs and... Or later on, this is I'm not using this as a slur. This is what they say in the show, Polak Johnny's shout out. You know what I mean? Like all of that stuff. I don't know any of this stuff. So apparently the Lake Trout situation is a big deal. The first time I heard it, I was like, what? But you see that all throughout the rest of the thing, the Lake Trout. But yeah, he was trying to go get a Lake Trout sandwich. They got hit by Omar. Yeah, because I would have never. I like trout. Like I'm a, I'm a fan. But right. I don't think I've ever in my life thought about it in submarine, like in sub format. 
ever. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, oh, that's some new shit. Uh, I was like, I say that that sounds actually kind of appetizing. Next time I go to Baltimore, I'm going to try to find me a Lake Trout sub thanks to uh, Bodie's huge cosign. So we may as again having to school D'Angelo because he decides to take a trip to get some food right as the re-up is coming. And as Weebay points out to him, he's like, yo. Yo, people supposed to be ready for the re-up. You supposed to be steady for him. But where you at? You in a goddamn salmon shop. You got $20,000 D coming into your shop and you ain't even around to see that shit right. Look, I thought real. No thinking was what you wasn't doing and now we look like bitches. You feel me? We got to come back on them. And you can't even tell me shit about who they was. One of them was named Omar. Omar? Yeah, Omar, that's the name I heard. And they had a white van. Yeah, I saw the van. Down what kind of van? Who the fuck decides to go get some food at this moment? Like, you supposed huh. to supervise, motherfucker. Like, what are you doing? You got you want to hear my WeeBay? Want to hear my WeeBay? Yeah, go ahead. You got $20,000 D coming into your shop, and you ain't even seen it, seen it through. Nah, it ain't just up to stink them to be muscle. That's well, I, I, I it. That's the whole thing. I love that. That's actually not bad. That. Like, that, it ain't just it. up to stink to be muscle. <laughs> you had, And you had a salmon shop. And you you can't even tell us nothing about them. I love that. Shout out to... Shout I, out you to know Bay. what you love about... What I love about Weebay especially? Weebay talks with the side of his face. Like, mm-hmm. he don't talk with his hands. He talks with, like, the corner of his mouth and his face. Like, he makes that... That that is like his his way of gesturing, you know. It's like the more the more that jaw protrudes, the more pissed off that he is and feeling like he should be telling you some shit you should already know. Weebay to me, he the Kyle Corver of the show. You know why? You know why? He don't shoot a lot, but when he shoots, it goes in. You know what I mean? He's not getting a lot of shots, but whenever Weebay talks, something normally good happens in the scene. He's a he's a high efficiency type of player. His PER would be high. I agree with you. Very high. It, yeah. it, it kind of that's how uh, Slim Charles is too. Mm. I'm sure we'll discuss. Slim Charles is definitely that dude. That PER is off the hook. That PER that PER is Jordan like levels. Yeah. On Slim Charles. Mm-hmm. He never said something that wasn't essential and not important. Word. But, yep. But but I got to digress. I mean, the thing I love that Weebay tells D'Angelo in this moment when he's checking him about being gone when the re-up is coming is thinking is what you wasn't doing and mm-hmm. now we look like bitches. Now we look like bitches. <laughs> now we gotta come back on them and you can't even tell me nothing about who they are. One of them had a white van and his name was Omar. What kind of van? And then all of a sudden the, sh- the cops come in. Anyway, my bad. I, was just, I love this <laughs> no, episode. No, no, no. Good- that's, that's literally <laughs> that's what it is. And, and again, D'Angelo <clears throat> finds himself in a situation where his mistake has a ripple effect throughout the organization, much like him deciding to murder that dude, to murk that cat in the, in the high rises set off a chain of events. And so mm-hmm. this happens, he's not there to handle it. And look, in all honesty, if he wasn't, if he was there when Omar was there, shit wouldn't have turned out different. Probably not. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like he's still go walk away with all the money. If he's lucky, he walks out alive and like, not like my man who got his leg blown off for just mm-hmm. talking reckless. Um, how you, why you talk reckless when you ain't got the gun, I'll never understand, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Right. <laughs> that's neither here nor there. It may have turned out the exact same, but the fact is now they're like, oh shit, now we got to go figure out who this dude is, which inevitably starts the infamous war with Omar to begin with. So it's just amazing for as much as D'Angelo knows and for how smart he is, he's constantly the dude in dumb ass situations. 
mm-hmm. constantly that dude. You know, D'Angelo is really involved in a lot of high leverage scenes, but this is the the episode that also is one of the signature moments of the entire um, series is him explaining the chess game. Yo, what was that? Hmm? Castle can't move like that. Yo, Castle move up and down and sideways like. Nah, we ain't playing that. Man, look at the boy playing checkers. <laughs> checkers? Yeah, checkers. <laughs> Yo, why y'all playing checkers on the chess set? Yo, why you give a shit? <laughs> Man, we ain't got no checkers. Yeah, but yo, chess is a better game, yo. So, that's the scene of this episode. That's the scene of this episode. That's and, the scene. And could be, potentially, the scene of this season. It's way high up there for one of the most pivotal, influential scenes in the entire run of the series because he essentially gives these kids their fate right there in that scene. He gives them their fate. But to go from that type of wisdom and that type of understanding of everything to the same motherfucker who goes to get the lake trout, no mayo, extra hot, and something to drink and gets robbed. Just what a complex character D'Angelo is, man. Because he's equally, he's somebody you root for, but somebody you're frustrated by mm. because of these lapses, lapses in judgment. By the way, what what do you think? What do you think Bodie's choice of drink is? He definitely know. seemed like the, he seemed like the two, the type of do orange soda. I'm just orange soda, man. But I to be honest with you. I think he's probably orange, orange or grape. I think it's probably orange. Uh, but he, it's weird to me. Every time I watch that scene, he leaves it up to D'Angelo to choose. Bro, doesn't even care. Like that, like, that is kind of crazy. What if D'Angelo comes it's back? It's kind of psychotic, a, though, right? What, what, it's it's crazy as fuck. What if he comes back with a diet snapple? Like is, what? Like what? Is, what if he? What if he comes back with Zima? What if he comes back with uh, smearing off ice? What if he is so many ways somebody could fuck up? What if a uh, 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 clear Pepsi? What if he comes back? There's so many ways somebody can. Fuck your drink up and then fuck up your whole meal. Hey, get him on bone. Something to drink. Well, something to drink? No. Hey, bro, go back. Bring me back a watermelon, Arizona. But don't, you know, it's like, whatever. I like watermelon. But maybe he's also thinking if I give him too much shit to remember, he going to get the thing I really care about wrong. Because at the end of the day, when you give somebody, when you give them your order, you could probably live with the drink not being right. Like they, if they, you know, yeah, there's a part of me, somebody, I tell them to, to go get me some food and I'm like, whatever on the drink, they bring me back some Mountain Dew. Yeah, I'm gonna want to choke them out because I hate Mountain Dew. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. But right. I'll probably suffer through it. But if they get my entree wrong, I'm gonna be pissed because then I can't even really fuck with it. Uh, and I then always, I'm hungry. Nah, see, but look, listen, here's the deal. First of all, I was fat. I was 300 pounds, 360 pounds. So with me, Shout out to all of my people out there. We need the meal to be right. That's why if you're sending someone, you don't tell them to get the most exotic shit. Hey, bring me back a Coke. Just bring me back a Coke. But the fact that you don't say nothing, something to drink. Who knows what could happen, bro? Who knows? But anyway. That's a lot of trust. It that's is. a lot that's of a, trust. That's a lot, but they work together. Yes, they do. They're, they're colleagues. So maybe, mm-hmm. you know, this is this shows how their relationship grew from when Bo, Bodie was looking at him sideways when he first showed up at the low risers and now they've reached the point in their relationship where Bodie can trust him to get a drink. Maybe at this point he's seen, <laughs> he's seen him drink so many things that he feels like, ah, maybe I got a good handle on this. He's not going to, you know, come back with any bullshit. But uh, since you brought it up, we might as well just go ahead and dive into it. Best scene 
Uh, I think we both agree the best scene is definitely D'Angelo teaching Bodie and Wallace how to play chess. Y'all don't know how to play chess, do you? So? So? So nothing, man. Look, I'll teach y'all if y'all want to learn. I come on, man, you. nah, come on. We're right in the middle no, of the game, yo. Down, chill out. I want to see look, this. Y'all yo. can't be playing no checkers or no oh, chess right. board, yo. All right, all right, all right, man. Now look, check it. It's simple, it's simple. See this? This the kingpin, all right? And he the man. You get the other dude's king, you got the game. And he trying to get your king too, so you got protected. Now the king, he move one space any direction he damn choose, cause he's the king. Like this, 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 all right? But he ain't got no hustle. But the rest of these motherfuckers on the team, they got his back. And they run so deep, he really ain't gotta do shit. I like your uncle. Yeah, like my uncle. And you see this? It's the queen. She's smart, she fierce. She move any way she want, as far as she want. And she is the go get shit done piece. Remind me of Stringer. <laughs> and this over here is the castle. It's like the stash. It move like this, and like this. Dog, stash don't move, man. Come on, yo, think. How many times we moved the stash house this week? Right? And every time we move the stash, we gotta move a little muscle with it, right? To protect it. True. True, we right. All right, what about them little bald-headed bitches right there? All right, these right here, these are the pawns. They like the soldiers. They move like this, one space forward only, except when they fight. And it's like, like this. And they like the front lines. They be out in the field. So how do you get to be the king? It ain't like that. See, the king, stay the king. It's so many takeaways from this, and it's a whole lot of file this away for laters <laughs> all through metaphorically him teaching them this chess game. So as you break down how the complexity of that scene, what were the things that struck you the most? They're talking to a lot of different people. Okay. So if you're, if you're producing the show and you're making the wire and you want to explain the way things work in one of these organizations, um, you'd explain it in that way. So as D'Angelo is talking to Wallace and Bodie. The show is talking to us. The show is educating us on the way things go in organizations like that all over America, right? The show is letting you know that those kids on those stoops, they don't go to become the kingpins by and large. And that's just the way things go, period, with any of that stuff. Uh, you don't go normally from the janitor to, to run an Amazon. All right, that's no, that's not the way that it normally happens. Now we're we're sometimes told that it is, but typically that's not the way that it goes. So he's explaining that to them, right? He's explaining that everybody has a specific role, everybody has a specific job, and it's just like things are on this chessboard. He's also telling them something else. You got to play the right game. If you want to know and really be a part of this, you got to play the right game. The one thing that he says, you can't play checkers with chess pieces. You know, he, you, you can't do that. If you have specific pieces and you want to be something, you got to play the right game. The entire show is about playing the game. And you cannot play the game correctly if you don't know what all the pieces do. So um, right there, he's explaining that to them. And then also in that scene, you also see 
You see, the reason why so many kids in that situation fail, they're not accepting of the realities of that. Bodie leans back at the end of having had this entire thing explained, even tells him the king, stay the king. Bodie leans back and Bodie says, after he tells him the, the pawns get killed quick, Bodie says, unless they some smart ass pawns. See, the king, stay the king, all right? Everything stay who he is, except for the pawns. And for pawn, made it all the way down to the other dude's side, you get to be queen. And like I said, the queen ain't no bitch. She got all the moves. All right, so if I make it to the other end, I win. If you catch the other dude's king and trap it, then you win. All right, but if I make it to the end, I'm top dog. Nah, yo, it ain't like that. Look, the pawns, man, in the game, they get capped quick. They be out the game early. Unless they some smart-ass pawns. Bodie believes in this thing of ours. He believes that one day it's going to be him somewhere calling shots with his name on the package, with, with all the good real estate from the Towers to Fayette and all of those places, he believes that's going to be him. D'Angelo knows because he's seen it, not just in this generation, but in past generations, that that's probably not the way it's going to be. Yeah, no, he is. I, I agree with you. He's totally forecasting them and getting them to think about the fact that your trajectory in this organization ain't what you think it is because mm-hmm. that's kind of the game of it is the game of it. You get into it thinking you'll be Avon Barksdale mm-hmm. when in reality, more people wind up as pawns, most of them not smart mm-hmm. than anything else. It kind of that entire scene reminded me of the book Freakonomics. And I don't know if you read Freakonomics, but there is a chapter or a section in the book that is dedicated to comparing what the average corner boy makes, average drug dealer, run of the mill, not a kingpin, compared to what you make in exa- make at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And the shocking thing, it's really that not that much different because mm-hmm. he's also comparing not just the risk that you incur in terms of your life, the fact that you're putting your life on the line, but the number of hours that you're actually on the corner trying to hustle for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a long ass day. Them dudes, like even just what you've seen in their, in their, how they are in the low rises, they're out there all fucking day and well mm. into the night. They doing a good 12, 14 hours out there. Mm. You, if you space that out of what they made per hour, what their, what their cut is in the scheme of things, that shit ain't even worth it. Mm-hmm. It's not even worth it. Right? right. And so he's basically like, if your mentality like Bodie's is, all I got to do is put in my time, my work, and one day I'm going to get here because notice he kept asking. So what I get it when I get to the end? Like that right. was his whole thing. Like uh-huh. I know something else happens. So I get to the end. He's like, nah, you still a pawn. That's right. what happens. Yeah. Right. And for them, uh, I also thought it was really interesting about how they made very, how immediately I think it was Bodie who made the comparison when he's explaining like the king stay the king. He don't really do nothing. Everybody else does. And he was like, kind of like your uncle. He yeah. immediately said yeah. that. The king don't do shit like, you're, you're like your uncle. We never see him. He never be around right. here. He don't show no hustle. The only thing we know is that things are the way they are because that's how he wants them to be. And also, it's all of our jobs to protect him. Also, what was interesting as well is it never, they never had the intellectual cross, uh, curiosity 
to even want to learn how to play the right game. They knew automatically when they started putting those pieces on there that they weren't playing checkers. They just made up a game to that was, in their mind, probably a little bit easier, less complex to do. But they never even had the inter- intellectual curiosity to figure out how to play chess, mm-hmm. which is also symbolism in its own right because people often in those situations that they're in where they're essentially raising themselves, where they've been out on the street they never show any interest in joining the real game that's out there. They just make up one and be like, I'm going to go by these rules because that's what I know. And yeah. so that's all essentially um, they were doing. Uh, I also love how Bodie, <laughs> instead of call before he learns that they're called paw- pawns, he was like, <laughs> them little bald head bitches. The little bald head bitches. <laughs> the little bald head bitches. And, 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 and think do. about it. So he is realizing in that situation that he and Bodie kind of was, shout out to JD, a little bald head bitch is what you are. In that situation, you're not important. You're going to get capped quick. You exist to serve the wealth and the ambition of somebody else. Now you have that information. What are you going to do with it? And when you watch, and when you kind of watch them do, uh, kind of watch them have that conversation it's just a masterfully written acted um and really directed scene just to to have the game get kicked down to him we keep talking about d'angelo and you can't stress it enough uh a guy that seems to know everything and nothing at all man because the way he broke it down to them um is impressive and also it's impressive that you know he's also talking about himself these are also things that D'Angelo has realized about his own life. He's realized that he's never going to be his uncle. He's never going to be Stringer. He just has to get out of it what he can get out of it as long as he's in the middle of it. Well, it's interesting that Stringer got, you know, compared to the queen, you know, smart, fierce, and uh, the, go, the go, get, go get shit done. The mm-hmm. queen ain't no bitch because she got all the moves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would disagree with that being a stringer comparison <laughs> as with Clay Davis, but I'll let it live for the moment in the mm-hmm. moment. But what we know of stringer bell in episode three or up till episode three, that certainly seems to be the case. Um, but it, what is interesting too, is that they seem to be in real time, making these connections from what he's saying to real life. And more so than Bodie's. I mean, because I think Bodie, as you said, he's so committed to this game. He just like, I don't give a damn what you tell me. I know it's going to turn out differently for me. That's just kind of his mindset. Wallace, on the other hand, when you look at kind of some of his facial reactions as he's absorbing and really trying to decipher this information, he just, it's, it seems like a light bulb is going off where he like, oh shit, this mm-hmm. might be the best this shit get for me. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of a, a sad realization, if you will. Um, and especially when you put it in context about how as the episodes develop in this season, he falls kind of out of love with the game. Right. Yeah. And uh, Wallace is the kind of kid that Wallace would have been involved in what everybody else would have been involved in wherever he was. Yeah. If Wallace would have gone, come from a basketball community, he would have hooped. If we would come from a football community, uh, he'd have played football. It just so happened that he you know, came up where he came up and this is what he was into. And his breaking point um, in that was you know, later on was when his actions resulted directly in the type of degradation and loss of human life 
that he had seen around him. Like a lot of these guys uh, are a part of the game, but don't think that they're playing it. But one thing that happens in the wire time and time again is people realize what they're responsible for. And then once they realize what they're responsible for, you sometimes see their characters take a little bit of a turn. Again, we both agree that this was the best scene in the uh, episode. Another Mm -hmm. scene that jumped out to me was when D'Angelo was at Orlando's when he was turning the money in the stringer. And Stringer was, uh, when he's asking him, he's like, yo, Streets is talking, package kind of weak. What's up on a new package? And Stringer right. was like, ain't no new package. We gonna right. keep stepping on this shit like we always have. Uh-huh. Doing good out there, D. Well, we be doing even better when we get that new package. <laughs> new package, same as old, man. Say what? Ain't no new package. Just gonna put that same shit out in a different color jail cap is all. Might spike that shit with some procaine or some caffeine, but otherwise the same. String, man. People already coming back on us telling us that shit is weak. I know, shit is weak, but, you know, shit is weak all over. But the thing is, no matter what we call heroin, it's gonna get sold. Shit is strong, we gonna sell it. Shit is weak, we gonna sell twice as much, you know why? Because a fiend, you gonna chase that shit no matter what. It's crazy, you know? We do worse, and... We get paid more. The government do better, and it don't mean no, never mind. This shit right here, D, it's forever. You know, which I thought was like a very poignant kind of statement, and it's true. It's like the with the drug game being what it is, it don't matter what they call it, whether it's good, bad, whatever, the shit is always going to be there. It yeah. doesn't matter the quality. It is going to be a trade um, and an enterprise that's lasting literally forever. Right. And it's also one of the first time you start to realize that the, 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 the drug, something that we all know now is that the drug lords are addicts too. Like I had a homie uh, back in the day who he was trying to straighten things up. He eventually did. Bravo to him. And he was telling me how hard it was to get his life straight. And one reason why it was so hard for him to get his life straight and, uh, and stay away from the, what he was moving before was because people knew his car. So when he drove through the hood, it wasn't even like when he drove through the hood, it wasn't even like he was still trying to to run game. When they saw the car, they knew what time it was. And he was like, and he told me one time, he's like, it's not like that's going to stop. I'm going to have to do it because while I've stopped doing what I'm doing, it's going to continue on. It's going to be more people. Either I'm going to have to get a new whip a way for everybody to get locked up. What Stringer was explaining to him is that these guys, they're also hooked into something. They're they're hooked into a forever cycle. You know, they're just taking advantage of a different level. But what they're doing, they're just as addicted to it. They're addicted to the lifestyle. They're addicted to the money. Everybody in in the game is addicted to something. I mean, fucking Jay-Z says that in the lore. Uh, so he's kind of just breaking that entire thing down to him and let him know this whole thing is bigger than all of us. It's forever. It's going to be here. We might as well be the ones to get paid for it. Well, well it was um, a common question that often comes up when I know I always have this in my mind to whenever you see the feds or even your local police make some gigantic drug bust. Right. And 
you're always thinking it. Then they start breaking down the enterprise. Like, like I'll use American Gangster, for example. I did not mm-hmm. know the, the true story of that until the movie came out. Mm-hmm. So here you have Frank Lucas, who is making an obscene amount of money. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of you that's thinking like, why the fuck wasn't he like, you know what? I made a hundred mil. Let me just go across. Let me just hey, I'm just hey, quit. Hey, I always wondered that. I'm like, what's the number? Like, seriously, especially since we're talking about the 70s. And like in, in the case of those guys, or even um Boston George. Like, I, I like I like I wonder, like, what's the number? What's the number? Do, if you're Frank Lucas and it's 71 or 72 or 73, whatever it is, and you made 60 million dollars. Like that's not enough. Like, if, like, what's the number to make you move to Anguilla? You know what I mean? Like, what? Like, what's the number? And 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 that's a, a an amazing observation because it's still going on. It's like if you could anybody like when 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 uh when you're when you're hooping in the NBA, your body tells you when to quit. But if your body didn't tell you when to quit, you never stop playing. Like there are guys out there that they could still compete. They play for free. So it's the same thing with everything else. And that's kind of the, the, the larger thing is it's such a big game that nobody can get their hands around all of it. Yeah, no, but it, it's, it's often that's I've thought of that a, a thousand times. It's just like, OK, you know, at what point are you just like, yo, I, I think I'm good now. I mean, Frank Lucas, they said, was worth an estimated 52 million. Right. That's crazy. Like that wasn't enough. <laughs> 52 <laughs> million in the early 70s. So right, that's like seven trillion dollars now. Yeah, <laughs> come on, man. So, so why were you still in the game? So, were there any other scenes that that jumped out to you? You can't go against the chess scene, but my other scene is Bubbles' fashion review of Sydney. That was great. Sydney comes out. He thinks he got crackhead chic, dopehead chic, heroin chic. Uh, which I can't, still can't believe was a thing. God damn, Kate Moss. Now look at this piece of shit. <laughs> Good to go, right? Come here, let me see. Detective Sidner's ensemble is the latest in West Side Project where have your torn camis by Versace. Nah, stained sweatshirt by Ralph Lauren. Like he's still, like he's, he thought he had it all down. And Bubbles, the genius that he is, breaks it down. Your wedding ring got to come off. Uh, you married to the needle now, boy. Smash up some, some, some empty vials and put them on the bottom of your shoes. The clothes could be a little bit more fucked up. Clothes is torn down enough. You can use a little bit more stains, more dirt. What's this here, man? It's my wedding ring, Shit, you married to the needle, boy. That shit been pawned off of you for real. Dead giveaway. You can stand to lose about 20 pounds. Some yellow on your teeth. Fresh bleeds on your hands. Yo, how about the shoes? I mean, I know you ain't got no problem with the shoes. Fucked up as they are. Let me see the shoes, man. See? You're walking down them alleys of the projects, man. You're stepping on the dead soldiers. Dead soldiers? Yeah, empty vials. You can't walk down the Baltimore streets without that shit cracking underneath your feet. You want to know if a fiend for real? Check the bottom of his shoes. He knows what the fuck he's talking about. It's both a scene that's a little piece of comic relief because you're watching Sittner, who thought that he had done a great job, uh, kind of get torn apart by 
the 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 crackhead project, Warren Way, Tim Gunn, Heidi Klum. Um, but you're also uh, watching Bubbles, and once again, de- 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 demonstrate again why he's such an amazing CI. He's not going to let the cops go in there with their asses out. He knows how to make them look authentic. Yeah, because the cops were as much intel as they gather. Because that's, I mean, they're they're really just gathering this shit. They're not living the shit. And mm-hmm. Bubbles lives this shit, so he is a much more authentic and trusted voice and telling them about how they can appear more authentic. So it's kind of like, you know, the co- cops generally, their mentality is they know smarter, th- they're smarter than the people that they're trying to catch. And that's not always the case because once you get on their turf and once you get in their game, it's a totally different story. And mm-hmm. sometimes they need to be humbled a little bit. And that's what that scene was for Sidney. It was humbling because yeah. as smart as he thinks he is, he's smart enough to know why the fuck would a crackhead be married? Or if they were, why would they have a wedding ring? Why would they have a wedding ring? You've been sold that. And, right. And, right. And so, and, and what you just said is, is, is crazy because I think about that even in terms of slang, right? Like, growing up, there was this thing that used to happen to me uh, where I would go to school and I, would, uh, I was in the gifted program or whatever like that. And when I would come back to the neighborhood, my classmates would be like, yo, you talk white. Like my, my, the dudes in the neighborhood would be like, yo, you talk white. And that's before I understood. And I, I took that as a, it really bothered me so badly, right? And it was before I understood something about language. Is that language is a tool. And no matter where you are, you have to be able to communicate effectively with whomever it is that you're talking to. The King's English isn't a better way of speaking. It's just the way this part, this part of the culture speaks. And if you come to my neighborhood and they don't understand what when you're talking about, you're the stupid one. So what continuously happens in The Wire is that you see people who represent differing worlds have to adjust to the other side. We're going to see this later on um, this season as D'Angelo tries to take Donette out for a night on the town and he realizes that although he knows everything about his world, he doesn't know anything about the world that's right by the harbor. And so the collision of those two worlds and how the cops navigated in order to get what they want and how uh, the dope boys navigated in order to survive um, their dealings with the cops is going to be a persistent theme throughout the entire series. I thought another uh, underrated scene in this episode was when McNulty and Kima finally have a conversation about her sexuality. I say, how about you? You ever been married? What'd I say? You ain't gonna say anything. I am. What? If you're a dog, you barking at the wrong pussy. What, so I'm a dog now? Yeah. Yo, bubs. I date women. Well, there we are. I got something else in common. I date women too. So pretty much everyone in CID has worked this out but me. Shit, won't nothing to figure out. I told him. Guess I missed the press conference. Look, it's better that than, than have every police on three shifts hounding you every goddamn day. Cops are dogs. Yeah. It's not in like the was- previous episode, if I'm not mistaken, because I think it was Carver that asked Kima. Do you mind if I ask you why you like girls? And she yes, was I like, do yeah, I'm, yes, I do mind. And went back to her business. Because right. she probably knew, I ain't about to have a conversation with this fucking mouth breather right here. Right, right. <laughs> like, you know, she she saved it for this conversation that takes place with not just, you know, her, but Bubbles too, mm-hmm. with his meow commentary <laughs> mm-hmm. as well. Of and 
you know, I thought that was, it was not only an indication of, you know, Tima sort of letting people into her world or McNulty, who at that point, you know, she's still getting to know, letting him inside her world. But she also says a couple statements that kind of give an indication about what it's like being a female officer, period. Mm-hmm. Right. But she said that part of the reason why she was open about it is because she didn't want to get hounded on three different shifts about, yo, let me get on. And yeah. so that in itself is giving a window um, to that. And then, of course, when she talks about how a lot of female officers are intimidated physically and maybe a little bit emotionally about the job that they have to do. In the beginning, you're in your radio car, alone, working your post. Most women aren't getting out that car. Right. Not with outside partners showing up. They're intimidated physically. They gotta be. You weren't? Yeah, at first. But, you know, I'm talking about some old, you know, straight out of the academy type skin. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't about to stay scared. You know, you, you, you know, get your ass kicked, you know, once or twice, you realize it's not the end of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the women, they don't want to believe that. Some of the men, too. They don't even want to go there. You think because you're gay? I don't know. But is there any other fucking way to police? <laughs> All I know is I just love the job. In that quick interchange, it gives you a really good depiction of what it's like for her as a black female police officer and as a lesbian, a black lesbian police officer as well. Yeah. You know what? I have that written down as my what's aged the best. And it's and it's and it's and it's it's when we talk about what's aged the best, I don't mean to say best as in uh, saying that this is in any way something that's positive, but what's aged the best in terms of what's still relevant right now uh, to the show that came out on 2003 or 2002 we're talking about now is um, the plight of women in various workforces. And it's something that we've seen obviously become uh, more of a cultural flashpoint in the last three to four years with the, with the, with the rise of so many different movements where women are, uh, asserting themselves and looking to change those dynamics, right? But those dynamics, as far as being hounded about uh, uh, things from a sexual nature, then also um, having to fight to be respected, having to fight to be uh, valued, um, and also having to fight to prove themselves uh, is something that uh, uh, women in all industries uh, are going through still today, as we know. And she was describing it then. And so when I heard that, when I heard her going into that, I'm thinking, oh, my God, she's describing what so many different people described in op eds and sort of first person accounts that I've read in the last three years. It sounds like the same thing. So I couldn't help but think about what she said in that moment uh, with McNulty and Bubbles and then juxtapose it with what happens when they raid their low rises and Kima is about that action Mm. and comes running across and suddenly it was like, wait, hold up. That Mm -hmm. was, that was in hindsight, that was a curveball. I totally didn't see coming because if you think about it up until this point, they have established Kima as the moral compass of this unit Mm -hmm. in a lot of different ways. Like she's the relatively level headed one compared to all the other idiots around her to Mm -hmm. some degree. And so to see her flip that switch from being that 
to suddenly like, I'm going to take my pound of flesh too. Uh That was very stark. Yeah. Yeah, it was stark. And, you know, that scene that we're talking about, obviously, it it, it comes on the back of the the same uh, scene where Weebae is getting at D'Angelo and then the cops come in. They had just moved the stash and it was Bodie who made the mistake of firing off on a police officer and got his ass whooped. Whoop yeah. the hell out of Bodie, but you see for the first time that Kima's all in, man. Kima's yep. all in. You know, we know that we knew that Kima was about her job, but what's what was on her face then wasn't just about being the best policeman. It was ray a police woman. It was rage. She was mad that the badge had been crossed. She's one of those cops that if you whatever's going on when when that when we out here, it's all about the blue. And she sprung into action. You know. Uh, She's going to put it on the line later on. So, yeah, that, that was a huge, huge deal. And just the way they fucked Bodie up, like, it, it's just, the, it, I, I, we come back to this all the time. Police brutality in The Wire is such a prevailing theme. There's almost not an episode where there are not gross examples of police brutality. But after a while, it just becomes such a part of what the fabric of the show is you forget that it's even fucking happening. It's 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 a weird universe, and unfortunately, it's the real universe. Anyone who gets something else, let me just lay this down real quick. Anyone who gets pissed off when we're doing our various things, talking about the prevalence of police brutality and trying to downplay it, watch this show because it's not us that are saying that the cops do this. It's Simon and Burns, and they were there. They're reflecting the departments that they know. So deal, So I'm not trying to say, look, look, look at that. Take that for what it is. And direct all inquiries too. <laughs> yeah, like uh, please see the manager, David Simons and Ed Burns, who, mm-hmm. and they're coming at it from two perspectives too, because Ed Burns is from the police perspective because he's, he, was he was an actual cop. police officer. He was a detective. Mm-hmm. But David Simons spent a year on the streets with the yeah. cops. Right. And this is his perception and perspective about what the police's relationship with the community is. It also seeing Kima get involved in such an aggressive way in a in a brutal act of, of police brutality. It just shows you that even if you consider yourself a good cop or if you're perceived as a good cop, just how easy it is to get sucked into and to become attached and a part of that police culture that mm-hmm. makes that OK. That's just how they live and how um, they actually do things. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more Way Down in the Hole. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I just wanted to make sure you were listening to podcasts on Spotify. Here's how you do it. First, search for your favorite podcast on Spotify's app. They have a library of over 750,000 podcasts at this point. So let's say you're searching for the Bill Simmons podcast or the Rewatchables or the Dave Chang Show or Binge Mode or the Ringer NFL Show. Once you find them, click on the follow button. That's how you subscribe. Then click on those letters near the top of the app that say podcasts. You can't miss it. All the podcasts you're following will pop up separated by episodes, downloads, and shows. Wait, it gets better. On Spotify, you can adjust the speed of the pods to seven different speeds. 0.5 times is the slowest. I actually sound drunk at 0.5. Listen to this. 
Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. Yeah, you can get Drunk Bill. You can also do 0.8 times, 1.2 times, which is my favorite. Everyone sounds like they had a good cup of coffee. You can do 1.5 times. You can do two times. And if you're completely insane, you can do three times. Here's what that sounds like. Why would you do that? I think that's how we communicate with aliens. Anyway, Spotify's app connects directly to many of the best automobiles in the world. It even has a CarPlay feature that's pretty cool. It's really, really good. Best of all, it's free. Download Spotify on any device and you are good to go. Look, I don't want to app shame you, but you should actually be embarrassed if you're not listening to podcasts on Spotify. And if you don't believe me, listen to Drunk Bill at 0.5 speed. Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast. Tell him, Drunk Bill, the Bill Simmons Podcast. Listen on Spotify. All right, so all these great scenes, but I do think there's one character that stood out that deserves our attention, um, a, a deep dive into, and that is my man, Lieutenant Cedric Daniels. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's funny because I, I had, I wouldn't say an unfavorable uh, impression of him. I just, I think I was kind of neutral. Mm-hmm. But if you had asked me, is he more company man than not? I think I probably would have said company man. Mm-hmm. But I guess in this 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 latest rewatch of, of The Wire, I don't consider Lieutenant Daniels a true company man, right? I mean, he has, I think, a lot more layers to him than what it would be very easy considering Burrell and, and Rawls are his su- superiors to kind of put him in that same light. Mm-hmm. And there's a very short list of characters in The Wire who are actually about the integrity of the job on the police side of things. Mm-hmm. And he's on that short list. Right. Um, of people who actually care. The thing, though, that is very interesting to him, to me when watching him is that he has a very stoic kind of, you know, silent personality. Mm-hmm. But yet at the same time, whenever he talks and whenever he engages, much like we were talking about with Slim Charles and D'Angelo, or not D'Angelo, but with Slim Charles and Weebay, when they got some shit to say, they got some shit to say. It comes off, and yeah. It comes, it goes off. And we see here... Uh, the bubbling conflict between him and McNulty where he's willing to get in McNulty's shit, but he's also up against a force of McNulty's pure arrogance and stubbornness that might be hard to deal with. I'm not going. You're insubordinate? I'm not jumping out on something I believe is going to harm the case. You want to write me up on that? You can't. You think I want this? I got the deputy ops on my ass for this shit. Now I got you showing me up in front of the whole damn detail. I don't mean to show anybody up. Get your vest on. No. I got police work to do. Motherfucker, if you felt this way, why didn't you call in sick? I'm not sick. You could say a lot of things about Daniels. He is down for his unit, regardless. Regardless um, of how, because the, the way he saved Hurt Carver and Presbaluski on that project shit, to me, that's why it kind of makes... McNulty's consistent attempts to undermine him and throw him under the bus much more distasteful because he would cover up for everybody's shit at a at a given moment whether he agreed with it or not so Daniels is the best leader in the show he's the best leader because he's right there with his guys all the time not the best boss they're better bosses the difference between leader and, and boss is stark uh 
So D- Daniels is always right there trying to figure out the best way to protect his men um, and then serve the police department. I will say this, though. This is also the episode where Daniels becomes a more, a more fully formed character because we learn that even though he there's this hall monitor sort of squeaky clean veneer that there's a little bit of dirt beneath it. This is the first time a theme that's going to really, uh, you know, play itself out for the rest of the series. Uh, Daniel's old ripping and running days back in the Eastern. This is the first time that we learn about this um, as McNulty's uh, uh, connect in the FBI is kind of the first guy to, to put a little dirt on Daniels' name. I don't want to tell you in front of the girl, her being from narcotics and all, Daniels is dirty. What? Guy running your case? He's got dirt on him. Daniels' character um, is both uh, incredibly straight-laced, but rebellious, um, and uh, incredibly pious, but a little bit criminal. So he's he's complex in that way, and it just makes you want to know more about the evolution of Cedric Daniels. Is the Cedric Daniels that we see now, is it a result of the fact that he has to play the game by the rules because he knows that Burrell has stuff on him in the old days? Or has he been through the ringer? Has he learned? And now he knows. Uh, we find out more about that, but at this particular point uh, in the season, um, it, it's obvious that he's the the he's the guy that's going to be uh, by the book for the Baltimore Police Department. So this is something that you begin to notice as you watch it. You know more and more. The more times you watch The Wire, there are tidbits that are dropped that they never come back to. And mm. one of the tidbits involving Dan- Daniels. And again, correct me if I'm wrong. Remember when they say uh, when um, McNulty's FBI buddy says to him, you know, when he's telling him like, yo, your boy Daniels, he ain't squeaky clean, man. Mm -hmm. And he drops in there that he's got just a couple hundred thousand dollars that they have no idea why he has it, where he got it from. He doesn't have a second job. He just got a couple hundred thousand dollars chilling in the bank somewhere. And they just mm-hmm. like, we don't know where this shit came from. Mm-hmm. They never come back to this detail the rest of the, se- the, rest of the series. Right. Like, they, it's, it's assumed that at some point, Daniels was on the tape. Because, right. th- because the file that Burrell has about Daniels and his old Eastern, Eastern District days, it's assumed that at some point... Daniels was on a take. But even that, to your point, he reacts later on. Daniels is going to react so disappointedly at, at Carver and Hurt when they're kind of in the same situation. So it's just, it's really a complexity, but I know exactly what you're talking about. We never find out exactly how he got the money, but it's assumed that there was dirt on his name from the old school. Nor do we know if he was the mastermind behind whatever he was involved with or he was just a part of a system that was already running. Because mm-hmm. even when Burrell later on kind of uh, in the in the series kind of threatens him a little bit like, yo, I still got that file on you. He's got the Burrell file. Is see- right. He still got yeah. the file. And Dan was like, I don't give a fuck about that file. Like, all right. right, you got it. It is what it is. And so we still don't know. It's left for us to imagine um, and come to our own conclusion about whether or not Daniels is really dirty or was it just a thing where he might have just gotten in a couple bad situations? Because it's hard to imagine somebody who 
I wouldn't necessarily say Daniels is by the book, but he's a he's about doing the right thing. And I guess I can't see somebody being that dirty that suddenly does a 180 and is like, yo, I'm all about the right thing now. It's like, are you? See, I, I, mean, I, I, I actually disagree. I don't think he's about doing the right thing. I think he's about doing the cop thing. And because of that, I think that maybe so. I think, you know, it's funny is McNulty drags Daniels to the light. If we're saying that doing the right thing is a full-throated investigation into the Barstow organization, then Daniels has got to be drug into that. He's got to be drug into doing the right thing over doing the cop thing. And it could be that the reason why he is always so by the book, he is always chain of command, he is always all of those things is because he's got a leash on him. It could be that, and, and in, in exchange for that, the reason why he's making rank, the reason why he's on the short list, as they say, to go from lieutenant to major is because they got somebody in position that they know they can control. And so that might be the reason, but it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, but the thing is, he's not, he's not Rawls. Like, he's not that bad and he's not Burelity either. Like, he's mm-hmm. not on the level of, like, company madness and the level of, like, bootlicking. Like, yeah, he done licked some souls before. Uh-huh. But, like, he ain't, a, he ain't a straight up professional bootlicker the way those two are. Right. And he has way more defiance in him. Now, I will, I will agree with you about him wanting to do the cop thing. But as mm-hmm. we see later on, there are times where even the cop thing is not um, where well, he's willing to abandon doing the cop thing to do something that's a little bit more right. It does take him, you know, the frustration of his character is it that, that it does take him a little bit to kind of get there. And he seems to be more riding on ambition and letting amb- ambition uh, fuel him, particularly, you know, especially with, with him and his wife, because clearly they saw each other as this like power couple in city yeah. government, if you will. And then later on when he's with Rhonda, it's still kind of the same thing. But um, I guess I, he has done, he is not, I don't necessarily define him by his fucked upness as much okay. as I maybe do some of the other uh, characters, because I feel like there's still some, a little bit of redeeming value that's there. But it was interesting when he was in, I think it was Burrell's office when he was pressing him about what happened with Herc and Carver and Press Belusky in the projects. And he's like, look, what answer you want me to come up with? Because neither one of them are good. Like, right. <laughs> either I actually told these morons to go to the projects at two and then that makes me look stupid as fuck or they stupid as fuck and it's under my leadership. So I still look stupid as fuck. So basically, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of the the... The, the very compelling part about his character. He's always, he's like, he's never between a good choice and a bad choice. He's uh-huh. always between a bad choice and a really fucked up choice. Like that's his whole job. But you know what he did in that scene though? In that scene, he fell on his sword. Yeah. In that scene that you're talking about, he still fell on his sword for the police department. He took the blow so that, so that his men and so that the police department didn't look bad. He still did that. And I always wonder if that file is not in that desk. And by the way, Burrell be going to that file. Burrell keeps that file on top of the rest of his shit. If that file is not in that desk, if Daniels doesn't go, man, fuck you. I'm not doing this. But, but that's why when you talk about deep dives, a deep dive into that character bears so much fruit for the entire rest of the series 
because there's just so many layers there, man. And even with his confrontation with McNulty. Give me a 95 on why you're physically unable to participate in today's police action. Well, I'm going to lie so you can save face. Come on, write it up. I can't jump out with the rest of my unit because my tummy hurts. It's not going to help you gut this case. If you want to pretend to be a police, you go ahead. I found myself actually getting kind of pissed at McNulty, even though I felt like he had a point. It, that's the frustration sometimes of, of watching McNulty is like he'll have a point, but does he have to always make it in the most asshole way possible? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, he knows. Even Daniels acknowledged them doing street rips, them going to bust up the projects was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Totally. He was like, yes, the shit is fucked up. We should be focused on bigger and more important shit. McNulty and him actually agree on this. But McNulty, instead of just being like, you know what? This dude that looked out for me, I feel like he's still more on my team than against me. I'm going to just go along. What does McNulty do? Nah, fuck that. I ain't going. It's like, what? Really, not, only does it, not only does he not fuck that, I ain't going. And obviously, this is the scene where they're about to go to the projects to make all the buys. And McNulty refuses to jump out with his unit because he's against the buys. So, and this whole episode is called the buys. It is uh, centered around the buys. And McNulty won't participate in it. It's almost like Minosi is not participating in an episode, but he does it so publicly. Yes, that's he that was it, the problem. Yeah, he cuts his nuts off. If he does that behind of, closed doors, right. who cares? But he does it. In front of everyone. And and um it just makes you it makes you see that McNulty just, once again, doesn't put anything uh, above McNulty. And he's willing to make Daniels, to usurp Daniels' authority in front of the whole unit in order to make his point. Um, and this is a, a sniveling, uh, shit-eating ass uh, 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 scene from McNulty. But, you know, we're going to, that's who McNulty is. <laughs> and by the way, you know, <laughs> you're real though. I, I have to give it. Uh, to the actor that plays his character because <laughs> I, I've never seen somebody like in a series like this who's just so, ex- I mean, the level of excitement he has for bootlicking and the talent he has for it is, is really extraordinary. Mm-hmm. He is he is to bootlicking what Bubbles is to being a CI. Like he just, mm-hmm. <laughs> he, that's 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 the 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 transitive example. It's just like really, man. Like there's just no part of you that's just like fuck this system or this system's fucked up. You like eh. So anyway, direct deposit happening Thursday. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever right. I got to. <laughs> like fuck all this dysfunction in this department and the police brutality. And I got officers out here rolling to the projects at ten a.m. It's like, hey, man, direct deposit. You know, definitely kicks in. On that moment. Um, mm-hmm. For me, the we love this show, but moment was Bodie hitting the cop. Mm. Okay. Bodie, a soldier. Okay. He bought that life. Right. But I don't know if Bo- Bodie is. I'm a steal on not just the cop, a old white cop, which by the mm. way, the way he fell was unintentionally funny. And right. I was like, eh, <laughs> eh, I can't see Bodie with all that he knows that he would just and it wasn't like he was provoked. It wasn't like he pushed him. It wasn't like he said something, called him a shitbird. Like, none of that. My man uh, literally just grabs him to put him in some handcuffs and he get fired off. Yeah. Eh, I don't know about that one. You're not feeling that one. I'm not feeling that one. Yeah. I can understand that. Um, I've, you know, never known any of my homies that, uh, or anybody, period, that has assaulted a police officer. So I, I, you know, I can't say that. And especially in that situation where things are so sensitive, um, but mine, worst reflection of real life slash we love this show, but was the dope thing heard 
that they had when they was putting the testers oh, out. Oh yeah, when they had they them put, organized like they was on a they field put trip. All the dope fiends in one line and had them run into the look. I watch a lot of The Walking Dead and I've seen that there, but I, I I've never in life seen a group of dope fiends all waiting in line like we at the fucking heroin DMV to go get dope. And maybe it happens. I'm not saying it doesn't, but even when I first saw that, I was kind of like, eh, really? Everybody get in line, but look, I don't know. Like a single file line? Like is a like, single oh, file yeah. line for that goddamn heroin. You know, I, <laughs> I, 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 I've never heard of that before in life. So that was kind of the we love this show but moment for me. <laughs> uh, that's a good catch because it it did seem it, it did seem a little unrealistic, but it it, it was funny because it ties back to how the episode um, or one point this this was said in the episode. I think it was early on in this episode when D'Angelo, um, you know, it, he's good for again imparting this, these life lessons and wisdom on these youngins that I wish he would sometimes use for himself when he's like, yo, why does it have to be, why do we have to be involved in an enterprise where we just like randomly whooping people's ass? Word. You know, because they, yeah, these, I mean, even though it may not be a very, you know, morally redeemable business, but he's just like, at the end of the day, we are supplying them, the customer with something. And so mm-hmm. why do we have to, when we do that, Treat them like they ain't shit when at the end of the day, they're funding all of our lifestyles, regardless right. of what we think about what they're doing or not. Right. And when Bodie hits it back with the oldest, oh, the customer always writes shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then to go from that to suddenly you see them organize it, like again, like they're on a field trip and they like everybody get a writing partner. It's just like, oh, okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I guess that would happen, um, you know, kind of overnight. You were spared, Van, because this episode does not have a Stringer Bell fuckboy moment. I was moment. about to say, I it gave doesn't. my stri- I gave my Stringer Bell fuckboy moment to McNulty. So, so, <laughs> so I was about to say, Stringer, get, get off Stringer's back for one episode, Jamel. Stringer was actually kind of solid in this one and not in it. He was. <laughs> he was in this for all of two minutes. His mm-hmm. contribution is the same, as I mentioned earlier, that he had with D'Angelo when he's like, yo, you know, you doing real good over there. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. Gave him some I mean, money. He said it kind of. What con- are you talking about? He gave him some oh money. Oh my god! I mean, he's a little condescending, but okay. He okay. was so. Right. He gave you him know. some money. Use it to buy something you wouldn't otherwise. You make sure you buy something that you wouldn't ototherwise. Did he wink at him? See, condescending shit. He's condescending as hell. You know what he was thinking of? See, oh, you know what? You know what? Van, you to talk me into a fuckboy moment. You oh, know what that Jesus. was about? Here we go. What? You know what that was about? That was what? about baby mama. That's what that oh. shit was about. See, 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 that was a ploy. He said, go buy yourself something you wouldn't or whatever. Like, go spend it on that girl, your baby mama that I've been scoping this whole time. That I'll be sleeping <laughs> with about three more episodes when your ass go to jail. That's what that shit was about. Thanks, Maybe. man. Appreciate uh, it. Damn, you just, you're, 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 you're the axe you have to grind for Stringer is, I mean, is it's just crazy. And he's sitting there it's with crazy. his suit on in a strip club. Really, dude? Like, the he's tie. fucking Bill Gates. Oh, the tie okay. is kind of fucked up. Oh, you know what? Before I forget, what age the best for me is 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 Kima. You know what age for worse for me? The dancing in Orlando strip club. I, I look, look, that is what age the worst for me. Listen, I cannot tell you guys how stripper dancing has improved and the revolu- uh, the, the 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 revolutionary shit that has happened um since then. I didn't see any cheek isolation. 
I didn't see anybody go up the pole and come down the pole and nearly crack their clavicle on the stage. I saw zero twerking. I saw uh, really nothing. I saw no just the way they stand and just shake their thighs and make it jiggle. I saw nothing. Now, wasn't it, just, wasn't it a slow song too on top of that? It was a couple of slow songs. I think they was dancing one time to you guys keep on using me till you use me up. Oh, man. You know what I mean? Uh, ja Rule was one of them. It's like one of Ja Rule's love songs. Ja Rule, was, ja Rule was there too. So I didn't see, you know, I realized this is a little bit before we got a couple of years with Little John and them is really going to get the strip clubs cracking. It's not quite yet. I don't think it's happening at the same time. But I look back and, you know, just for the sake of research, I watched the of scene course. several times. And just the innovations and strip club booty control have, it's, it's like fucking night and day. It's really like, probably if you pull out those phones, perfect analogy. The phones that they're using, those flip phones, that's what a strip club game was then in terms of the dancing. Now it's to the iPhone. Now we banking on our shit and we giving our bank accounts to the girls that dance in the goddamn strip clubs. But that's what aged the worst. I didn't see nothing that I recognize now. <laughs> well, but it leads into what I was talking about with D'Angelo about the frustration that sometimes that he brings out of you because he's so smart, but so dumb at the same time. So of all the characters who you'd be like, who's most likely to fall in love with a, a stripper? D'Angelo. Of course wow. it was him. Yeah. So he starts this romance with Chardine. I mean, this is kind of the beginnings of it. Now he just got paid, right? Right. Trigger just broke him off. And what does this fool do? Remember me? Do I remember you? I was in here the other day. You wanted a drink. Did I get a drink? Three not. Then why would I remember you? You want to be remembered? You're going about it the wrong way here. All right. At a strip club, his uncle already owns. Like, no, you got to be getting a lot of freebies up in there as it is. Uh, you going to choose to spend <laughs> your hard-earned money? And she's clearly playing you for a sucker. I mean, I, I know that their relationship kind of evolves a little bit. But once she figures out you're connected to Avon, then she sees this cash. Suddenly, it's, you know, her attitude goes from kind of blowing them off a little bit to, here, let me put your hand between my legs. It's like, what? Yeah. D'Angelo totally would do this. You are so cynical, man. Like, look, she's a sex worker. He's a hard worker. Sex work is hard work. They just met on the same wavelength. As matter of fact, she 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 she, she tried to she, she kind of tried to play him right at first because the last time he wasn't with it, and now she had a different energy. I think that the real thing that in that scene that kind of jumps off of me is that he gets the money. And it's not like the, his first thought is to go spin it on his actual girl and his son. His first thought is he gives it, but you know what? I'm not hating on the girls that's working in there. That's the kind of shit that goes on when they really shake an ass for real. Had it been me, I wouldn't have spent no money in Orlando's because I wouldn't have seen anything that would have made me want to spend money. You know what I mean? Like there's people on YouTube right now fucking over everybody that's on Orlando's, man. Everyone. But yeah, you know, and obviously uh, the start of their relationship is going to be not only a significant uh, part of the show for the development of his character, but it's also going to be significant in what happens. Uh, He gets robbed. Lester comes in and robs him of his girl, man. Lester got... Man, who would have ever thought Lester 
for the <laughs> lesson for the creep, dirty back and move. I never would have mm. guessed it. Yeah. Lesson like, look, don't let these glasses and this science teacher hookup fool you. And then, and right? then them, them little uh, dollhouse miniatures fool you. <laughs> girl, I'll build you a real house and a real home. I'll what? make your house a home, girl. See, that's that old. Tell y'all something real quick. Like, I'll give y'all a, a, a quick story about old black man game. Tell you. My parents got divorced in 2002. I'm riding, uh, I think it was like 2005 or something like that. I'm riding in the, in, in the car with my dad. My dad sees a woman. She's walking out of Winn-Dixie in Louisiana and she's carrying her groceries. He stops the car and goes, ooh, man. And she's like, what? What's wrong? He goes, I see something just remarkable. And she's like, what do you see? He says, I see a queen doing regular woman shit. You must ain't got no kind of king in your castle. Because if he was mine, and I'm like, and I'm, and remember, I've never seen my dad run game before because he's been married all of this time. I'm thinking to myself, yo, who the fuck is this dude? Not only, my dad didn't just offer to carry the groceries. He said next time he'll buy the groceries in a house that she has where she can live that is what Lexa Freeman did to Chardine later on. He gave her safety, he gave her security, and he gave her probably something else. But you know, we never get a chance to see. So thank God us, we didn't get a chance to see that. The takeaway from this is: don't think these old guys can't take your girl, man. You'll get robbed out here in these streets. I'm telling you, Mister Mister, steal your uncle, right? <laughs> <laughs> or steal your auntie? Sorry, steal, steal your, your auntie. Uncle. Yeah, yeah, uncle too? steal your uncle auntie. Too? Uncle, Uncle too, too, true, Uncle true, too. true. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Steal your grandma. Like right. that dude is is forever, is forever and ever lurking. Um, uh, just a couple of quick stats to get out of the way. Again, no bunk cigar in this. No bunk cigar. No boat. No bunk cigar. No Bodie spitting. McNulty Ooh. does have a body count though. He was ah. like, let me revisit the house of Rhonda real fast. Why are you here? I'm thinking about something. Can I come in? No. No? What's the matter, McNulty? No one ever tells you no? Sorry. Should have called. <laughs> the house of Rhonda. You so crazy. Let me revisit. Let me, let me, as if it's got its own. Let me, let me go back up in Winterfell real quick. Let me revisit the house of Rhonda. <laughs> the house of Rhonda real fast. <laughs> Is this the first you know, time that we've seen them hook up? Is this the first time it, that they've been together? Is this the first time we've actually seen them hook up, but they have obviously had a relationship because as she points out that it used to be motel rooms and that was their thing when he was married. And then now you just showing up asking me for like wiretaps. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, and despite his ain't shit, this, she's just like, you know what? Why not? All right. And, uh, McDulcey probably had the phrase of the episode, which he repeated a couple of times, which is what the fuck did I do? You're an asshole. McNulty. What the fuck did I do? Like literally, you do everything. So <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Before we get to who won the episode, got a little mm-hmm. trivia. See, you put a lot of pressure. Oh, on trivia. Okay. Because the last time I had such a good stat that, you know, for those who may have last missed it. Last time was crazy. Yeah. Pres- uh Bres only officer the entire series of the wire to ever fire his gun. Only one. Mm. So um, we were talking about Daniels and uh, deep doing a deep dive into his character. 
little fun fact you can repeat at parties. Uh, that's not Daniels isn't the character he originally read for. The original character he read for was Bunk and Bubbles. Can you imagine Fuck him as, no. yeah, as Bunk or Bubbles? Hey! Hell no. Bunk, bunk I could. Bubbles? No, not even Bunk, man. He don't have the right... Bunk was like, he don't have the right thing. I couldn't imagine him. Bunk is a fat name. Like, that's a shout out to Wendell Pierce. That's Louisiana's own. Uh, but that, have you ever seen that guy? Have you ever seen Daniels with his shirt off? Yeah, uh, he's in he's in shape. Not no, he's not in shape. In he's shape ripped. is a, he's ripped. No, he's not. He got those little veins that could go in that little V area. It's disgusting. Oh yeah, yeah. He's like yeah, Definitely like he is. He, that's not a bunk. Like he don't have a bunk body. Bunk is a, when you see somebody that's a bunk. That's a that's a specific type of body that's assault that's associated with that. He got like a Brock body, like a Brent body, not a bunk body. He, he did the, and for bubbles. No one uh, just he doesn't have the right. He, he stands up too straight. I know he would have played it differently, um, but Andre Royo, man, body uh, like uh, like Andre Royo really, really did his thing with, with, with bubbles. And I know we can't imagine these characters as anybody else now, but I definitely don't see Daniels as either one of those guys. That's for sure. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was a little hard for me to believe, too, but I'm like, man, maybe he could have pulled it off. But I think obviously they made the right choice. All right. Question, Van. Um, how many characters from The Wire appear in every episode? In every episode? In every episode. Oh, man. What's your guess? One? McNulty? Uh, Close. How many? Close. Zero. Not a single character there's an on episode the, of the There's an episode of The Wire that McNulty's not in? I would have to guess. I think it's so easy to say it's season two. Right. Because he was like, on the I boat. Could, his, his usage rate goes way down in season two. That is true. Correct. Correct. So I, I, I'm guessing that's where that ap- appears. And, and once we get to season two, we have to be on the lookout for it to see if McNulty is indeed in every one of those episodes. We have um, to do that. We have to make sure that we that we are on the watch for the first McNulty list episode. And I want you guys to keep us on on yeah, track keep us with, honest that with that keep us honest with that i want to i want to the first episode with no mcnulty i definitely want to flag that one when we come to it so my second guess would be because you only i mean it really easy to pinpoint the seasons that are not built around him where he's taking a lesser role in the department one was the boat the mm-hmm. other was remember when he went back to western yeah you don't western really District. see him that much yeah you don't really see him that much so that would be my two seasons i would pinpoint uh, season four and season two where McNulty's probably not in an episode or two of those. So, but yeah, yeah. we'll be on the lookout for um, when his, the first mcnulty um episode is there, which honestly, the fact that it's hard to believe he wasn't in everyone says a lot about the presence of his character too. Yeah. He's kind of yeah. thing, the thing that ties everything together. You know what I mean? So like right. it, it, it all it, it is, I never, I never looked at the wire as having a main character. But if there was a main character in The Wire, it would certainly be McNulty because it's his curiosity um, and his sort of action that sets everything into motion. Like the the he's one of the he's one of the first guys we see. He is the first guy we see. So you you think that uh, you know if there was a main character to the show, it would be him, and that he would find a way to be in every episode. But guess not. <laughs> nope, he did not on every one. All right, and finally, Van, who won this episode? Who won this episode? 
I have, even though we haven't talked too much about him in this particular episode, uh, I got Lester winning this one. I got Lester winning this episode. This um, is so crazy because that is exactly my pick too. So oh, really? that great minds. Yeah, yes, it I, is. I, I got Lester winning this one. Lester put a face to the name, man. And the one scene that he has um, is so amazing. Like the like, if you have, I mean, he has more than one scene, but if you have one revelatory scene like that, where it's like you show everyone exactly who you are, not very many people in this particular episode can keep up with what Lester did. Yeah, and not only that, because um, this announces more that he's going to be more than just a, just this dude over there painting boxes and making dollhouses, whatever the hell he mm-hmm. is. Like he, he sort of, and it it gives you you show or that they show rather that he's actually pretty smart. And right. so whereas Daniels is thinking this this team that's been formed, the the anti Avengers that has been mm-hmm. formed to try to take down the Barksdale, you while they have their weaknesses, no doubt. But the team might not be as fucked up as you think. And especially if just by hearing that Avon used to be um, a boxer and that Lester still has enough of a connection and enough context to be able to immediately find out how he is. It gives you every sense like, damn, not only is this dude smart, but uh, he may have actually at one point in his career been like a real detective. Yeah. So that this is the first sign that, oh my God, the dead has arisen. There are some definite signs of life. Especially when you know that he's been in the pawn shop unit for a long time. So uh, there probably wasn't a lot of investigative reasons for him to be going back to the boxing gym. These are just people that he knew from doing good police work, which is having connections in the neighborhood, being able to go back and canvas the neighborhood when you need something. Um, And he had those and he was able to get them the answer they needed they didn't even ask him. He overheard that there was a need and he was able to address it. So yeah, uh, Lester Freeman definitely showed himself to be real police. Yeah, real police. And I guess, I mean, you could make the case that maybe the other winner of this episode was Shardine because her oh. decision her decision to get involved with D'Angelo eventually is going to lead her to who? Lester Freeman. Yep. It all uh, comes uh, full circle. All uh, right. She ends up getting herself a silver fox out of the whole deal. See what and I'm saying? Got, and later on, the most, the sweetest moment in wire history. We're going to talk about it later on. The box lunch between Lester and Chardine. The, the little box lunch, they had the sweetest moment, a sweet wire moment. It's all foreshadowed uh, in this particular episode. She came up and he came up in the same episode, and then they're going to get together later on. Look at that. I love it when a plan comes together. Beautiful love on the wire. Of all the things you associated with this show, sweet scenes and sweet box lunches and love was not one. Uh, All right, y'all. That's going to be our time, of course. Uh, Join us next time for sure. Uh, Episode four, season one, Old Cases. That Uh is the episode we'll be breaking down uh, next where um, definitely Omar becomes more of an issue for the Barksdale clan. Um, and we see how um, his presence or the threat of him continuing to rob them is starting to, you talk about those threads with things, those loose threads where things start to unravel a little bit. And old cases shows how uh, Omar is starting to unravel the Barksdale organization uh, from within. And there might be um, uh, a little, that's when we see a little bit of a, the tension that arises between um, 
you know, uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, known as uh, Stranger nah. and <laughs> Between W.E.B. Du Bois. Booker T. Washington. And Booker T. Washington. That's right. Some of this starts to make his way from old cases. So anyway, until next time, uh, keep on listening to us and keep on watching The Wire. got $20,000 D coming into your shop. Condescend the shit. And you ain't even seen it, seen it through. Nah, it ain't just up to Stinkum to be muscle. It's condescending as hell.